Hello and welcome to another episode of Insanely Criminal. I'm Emma. And I'm Jem. And it's been uh, an interesting week for me. It has. You've had a good week. I've had a very good week. It was my first day back at work today, which wasn't great. It was it was fine. It's just when you've had I had like ten days off work. So when you oh. go back after that you're a bit like I've completely forgotten what job I do and why I'm paid. <laughs> <laughs> and just like trying to catch up on everything was ugh, horrible. But Oh, I bet. It's over. We got through the first day, which is always the hardest. Oh, I know. That's always the worst. I was talking to someone in work today about how it's dragged um, the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. She was like, yeah, but last Monday was okay. I was like, yeah, but we weren't here because it's bank <laughs> holiday. She was like, that was only last week. <laughs> yeah, it's literally only been a week. <laughs> it always feels like, as it's a massive cliche, but the bank holiday weeks always seem a lot longer, even though you're only in four days, because I think you yeah. try and cram five days work into four days which is normally awful so. yeah definitely and uh it was a nightmare for me in work last week I won't say anything because I think some people from work listen <laughs> but oh my god and I was dying to go to the pub last Friday and I couldn't go so no ruined did I go to the pub I think I you did okay. I did no wait that, that was the Friday before, was it? I go to the pub a lot. I'll lose track. Last <laughs> Friday was... I did, but in the daytime. So I went back to... Well, the intention was to clean my old flat. It didn't really pan out like that. Because I ended up going for a pint and then doing some shopping. So... Well... Yeah. That's the way it goes. You've got, to, you've got to make the most of this. Exactly, you've got to live your life. Absolutely, although <laughs> uh, indoor pubs a week today. Woo-hoo. Yeah, I'm here too. Excellent. So, very excited. That is, oh, I'm very much looking. It's obviously been great to go and sit outside, but when the weather's like it is today where it's been raining one minute and then brilliant sunshine and clear blue sky the next minute it's not exactly great (laughs) I know like I said when I went a couple of weeks ago I was just so cold and we sat in the same pub for like five hours outside uh, yeah so I was numb leaving that's it and if you know you're drinking beer generally a cold drink you're well or, or tepid um it's not exactly a, a bit a warmer when you sit outside in the freezing cold. You want to be drinking like or cure hot chocolates or something. Yeah, definitely. Or at least have a blanket. But the place we went to usually has um, outdoor heaters, mm. so we tried to put them on, but they were broken. So that's not good. No, you'd think you know, give them a service before. Well, you yeah, open. if you know that you're <laughs> opening for outdoor service, like, maybe I could check those heaters. <laughs> Well, apparently not. So, <laughs> oh dear. I just remember coming home and I was like, I have to go to bed. I have to go to bed. I'm so cold. So I did in my pajamas and a hot water bottle and just to get warm. There was one day I think I'd gone maybe last Wednesday, perhaps, 
uh, and I'd gone back into Bradford City to go to the pub, obviously, as as I do. Um, <laughs> and I'd ended up... We'd only stayed for, like, I don't know. I got there about quarter six or something. And was there till about eight o'clock. So it's not that long. But I was so cold. You know when you just, like, you feel cold, like, right to your bones? Yeah. And no matter what you do, you just cannot warm up. That was... Yeah. Off, I had to steal someone's hoodie to go home in because I was just, <laughs> I had like just like a little blouse on, and I'm like, I did not think this through at all. But it was like brilliant sunshine, boiling hot when I left the flat. But then by the as soon as the sun went down, I'm like, yeah, it's about four degrees now. Great really, British really weather. Underdressed for this. <laughs> and that's the thing too. Like I bought all these new clothes for work because it's going to be so hot there. And. I'm still in my winter clothes, so I'm furious. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've had enough. I need a holiday. I just need it to just be stop raining, basically. Yeah. Stop raining and just be not too hot. Maybe like high teens would be fine for me. Yeah, about 16, 17 is like my cutoff. Yeah. Anything it, over 20 and no I, thanks. I'd push it to the early 20s if I had Ooh. to. But I just I remember there was one day a couple of years ago and uh, I wasn't having a particularly great time anyway, but it was this one day, I think there was like two or three days in the July of that year, and it was just like 34 degrees and you just you couldn't breathe. It was so bad. I remember we were sat again just trying to get some kind of respite and we were sat in a beer garden obviously but we were drinking beer and like as soon as you like had it five minutes it was already like warmed up Ugh. and we were just sat there like thinking it feels like you're in a, like a boiling hot bath and you just can't escape it and because I was on in my old flat on the fourth floor and it was like in the eaves of the roof it's all the heat kind of rose up there I was just sat there going I'm just, I cannot get cool. I think I had to sit in the bathroom because that was the only <laughs> cool part of the flat. I remember that summer, though. It's horrific because oh, it I went worst. to um, I went to Berlin to watch The Descendants and it Amazing. pissed down on the first day. And then after that, it was just unbearable. And then I think a couple of weeks after, I went to Amsterdam and it was like 42 degrees. It was horrific. I just wanted to cry the whole time. I was yeah, there. I just, it's it's too much. Even like I went to Las Vegas, and even there it was. We went in November, but it was still like twenty six degrees, and I'm like, it's pushing it, pushing it a bit. But to use a very British cliche, it's a different kind of heat. Oh, different, different kind of heat to go around. <laughs> No, but so, being in the desert, it was like a very dry heat. Oh, yeah. It definitely makes a difference. In the UK, obviously, humid as you like, so it's oh, horrible. Oh, I know, I hate it when it's summer here. It's just not my Ugh, not yeah. my jam, as I keep telling people. Nope. Definitely Nor prefer the autumn. Yep. Yep, but yep, yep. Are we ready to yes. dive into well, this one? I think so. <laughs> I don't think I've told you what it is either. You haven't, no. Oh, but you did I... say it's not as grim as last week, but it's still pretty grim. 
Yeah, it is. And I'm just going to go quick, like, bam, bam, bam into everything. Oh, um, God. I'll strap myself in then. <laughs> but first, I want to see if you can guess who it is by my little uh, fancy little intro. <laughs> so, this killer has gone by a couple of nicknames over the years, such as Big Ed and the Co-Ed Killer. He was also quoted on American Psycho, although Patrick Bateman said it was Ed Gein who said this, which was, when I see a pretty girl walking down the street, I think two things. One part of me wants to take her out and talk to her and be real nice and sweet and treat her right. And the other part would like to see what her head would look like on a stick. Um, okay. This killer was also played by Cameron Britton on the Netflix series Mindhunter. So, do you know who it is yet? Mm, it's de- that quote is definitely ringing a bell, but I was going to say Ed Gein, but you've just said no. Well, you just said that you basically yeah. said it wasn't him. So Yeah, it's not Ed Gein. I don't know. It's the one and only, and I have quoted, I think, on the early episodes of this podcast that he was, I'm not going to say my favourite serial killer, but he's one of the most interesting to me, and it's Ed Kemper this week. Um, Okay. So, yeah, it's a completely wild ride. If anyone knows anything about this, you'll know how bonkers it is. Um. But then again, how standard it is when you look back at other killers, what they've done. and But yeah, so we're going to go straight into it. So on August 27th, 1964, Ed Kemper, who was living with his grandparents at the time, had an argument with his grandmother in the kitchen. Ed stormed off, got a rifle and shot her twice. Not long afterwards, his grandfather returned home and Ed shot him too. Not knowing what to do next, he called his mother, who tells him to call the police right away. Ed said he wanted to know what it felt like to kill another person. He was arrested and diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and was sent to Atascadero State Hospital. So there we go. We're straight in. (laughs) He's killed his grandparents. Jesus. Um, yeah, he was only, I think, 15 when that happened. So, Oh, wow. Start, start them young. Yeah, yeah definitely. So, I mean, he didn't just kill them for no reason. Um, he had quite a shit childhood. And mm. So let's take a look at that. He was born on December 18th, 1948, to Mother Clarnell and Father Edmund. He displayed early signs of antisocial behaviour, such as animal cruelty. At age 10, he buried a pet cat alive, dug it up, decapitated it, and mounted its head on a spike. Good Lord. See, I told you this was going to (laughs) be... Straight off the bat. Um... He did lie to his family about killing the cat and he said he took pleasure from not only killing the cat but from lying to his family. Ed later said he did this because the cat liked his sister more than him. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> we're straight just in. Blame the cat. <laughs> no problem. Um, but yeah, he also kept pieces of the cat in his closet. Um, Whoa. Normal. Pieces? Uh, I know. Whoa. I don't know what pieces. I don't think I want to know what pieces. No. I wrote this while my cat was sitting here with me too. Oh. And I was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Close your ears. <laughs> Fold your ears now. <gasps> what if it was the ears that he kept? No. <laughs> There's such a thing as knowing too much about a thing. <laughs> this is one of the first times. So obviously Ed had a life filled with dark fantasies. He would play with his sister's old uh, sister's dolls. But he would cut off their heads and their hands. Keep that in your mind for the rest of this case. Mm -hmm. His sister once teased him and said he kissed one of his teachers. To which Ed replied, if I did kiss her, I would have to kill her first. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's not first date chat, but... (laughs) No, no, no. Ed also liked to play games such as pretending he was in an electric chair. His sister also tried to kill him twice by attempting to drown him in a pool and tried to push him in front of a train. It sounds like as much as that's awful, she may have been trying to do the world a favour there. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean... Someone's killed your pet cat too. I mean, oh Jesus Christ! Like, put the head on a spike. Oh, just... Yeah, Gross. I mean, it's top level Halloween costume stuff. But I mean, oh, what did the cat do? <laughs> so, despite all this, um, Ed did appear to be close with his family and was said to be devastated when his parents separated in 1957. His relationship with his mother was tumultuous, to say the least. Clarnell was an alcoholic and wildly neurotic. Her favourite thing to do was to belittle Ed and humiliated him often. She made him sleep in the basement because she was scared that he would hurt his sister. Ed was shown. Yeah, exactly. I mean, get in that basement. I do not want you in this home. (laughs) He was shown no affection by his mother because she thought hugging him and kissing him would turn him gay. Um, Not sure how that works, but okay. (laughs) Ed would later go on to describe his mother as a sick and angry woman. Yeah, so, you know, we're making good headway into this. Mm. Um, There's kind of no respite from the madness either. It's just kind of, it's wild all the way through. At age 14, Ed wanted to reconcile with his father, who had remarried and had another son, and moved from Montana to Van Nuys, California. He only stayed with his father for a short while, and this is when he decided to move in with his paternal grandparents. Ed later said that his grandfather was senile and that his grandmother was always emasculating Ed. And like I said before, Ed was only 15 when he killed them both in their homes. So, 
I mean, if you're that fucked up at 15, like... Not really much I, hope for you, is there? Yeah, I don't think there's much of a turnaround there. No. That you could ever make. While he was at Atascadero State Hospital, it was discovered that Ed had an IQ of 137 and he was seen as a model prisoner. Ed stayed here until his 21st birthday when he was released on parole. He had not recovered and was still battling with his schizophrenia. However, he convinced psychiatrists that he was cured. Which I would assume would be quite easy to do um, if you had this type of personality. Mm-hmm. And um, if you've got a really high IQ, you probably know, you like figure out what to say to get them to declare you like rehabilitated or sane or whatever yeah absolutely um i think that's why i find him so interesting because not just because he has a high iq but he's just very intelligent even Mm -hmm. if you watch videos of him being interviewed he's very um very eloquent Mm. and uh like if, if obviously if you didn't know what he's done you think, oh wow, what a nice young man. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's like super dangerous though, isn't it? Yeah. Completely. Because you know, there are some terrible criminals who you think, well, he seems the sorts. But if he's like charming and eloquent and intelligent sounding, then you probably like would never suspect that he would be capable of such terrible things. Yeah, definitely. I think it was the same with um, Ted Bundy, though, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Because, no, I mean, he had, you know, a wife and a child and no one ever suspected him because he was intelligent and white. That's why he yeah, got away well, with it for so, so long. Um, that's, a, that's a different podcast story. It is, but I never ever want to do one about Ted Bundy because he just irritates me. <laughs> So Ed was released back into the care of his mother, Clarnell, who was now living in Santa Cruz. And on November 29, 1972, his juvenile record was wiped clean. Which I find insane. He killed his grandparents and now it's like, yeah, whatever. It's wiped clean. Clean slate. Never yeah. mind. Boys Let's will be start boys. again. Oh, yeah. I mean, it probably is something like a boys will be boys. Absolutely. Though. Like, I'm like, oh, I've never known anyone who would uh, kill their grandparents because they had an argument with them, but no. there we go. Ed started attending community college, which was part of his parole requirement, and he hoped to one day become, wait for it, a police officer. Jesus. <laughs> of course. That's what they all want to do. Ed stood at six foot nine, and because of his stature, he was denied entry into the police department. Six foot nine? Yeah, he is huge. I don't know if you've seen Mindhunter, but... I haven't, no. A few uh, people have told me to watch it. The guy who plays him is very convincing. Like, I would have thrown every award at the guy who played him because he was phenomenal. And Charles Manson's in it too. Not actual Charles Manson, but you know, someone plays yeah. Charles Manson. 
It's not Charles Manson's corpse. Come back to haunt us all. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> so even though Ed was denied into the police department, he started drinking at a local cop bar where he made friends with several officers and he earned the nickname Big Ed. He also eventually gained employment with the State of California Division of Highways. At home, however, his life living with his mother became incredibly toxic. They often had fights, which Ed described as horrendous battles that were violent and vicious. Ed needed to get out of his mother's home, so he saved up some money and rented an apartment with his friend. Even though he was out of the family home, Clannell would not leave Ed alone and would often phone him constantly. So, uh, I mean, Clannell just sounds like a riot. Uh, But then, I mean, Ed doesn't sound much better. (laughs) Uh, I guess uh, crazy does breed. Um, Maybe a bit more than crazy for Ed. Crazy breeds extra crazy. Yeah, definitely. So, on May 7th, 1972... Ed was out driving around Berkeley and picked up Mary Ann, I think it's Pesky, but don't come at me, and Anita Lucasa, who were both 18. They were both from Fresno State University, and Ed said he would give them a ride to Stanford University. As he was driving, Ed saw a secluded wooded area near Alameda and drove deep into it. Once there... He handcuffed Mary and locked Anita in the trunk of his car. He stabbed and strangled Mary first and then did the same to Anita. He put both of the girls' bodies in his trunk and drove back home. On his way, he was stopped by an officer for a broken taillight, but the officer did not see anything suspicious. Oh, no! I know, I hate that part. Of course! Once Ed got home, um, I hope no one's eating, he took photos of both of the girls naked and had sex with their bodies. After this, he dismembered them both and put their body parts into plastic bags, which he abandoned near Loma Prieta Mountain. Before he disposed of their heads, wait for it, (laughs) I don't think you're ready. Oh, God. He performed an act of irrimatio on both of the girls. Um, Do you need me to explain what that is? I think I can guess. Yeah, I really don't want to explain it. Oh, my God. I knew knew it was going to be that. Oh, God. (laughs) so horrible. I just want to say for everyone listening, too, that Emma has me on speaker so, <laughs> if anyone in her building can hear this conversation, then really sorry. <laughs> please, please check out the podcast if you are listening. It's yeah, really give cool. us a five star review. <laughs> I like this. This used to be a respectable place to live until that weird goth girl moved in, <laughs> talking about weird cop sex things. <laughs> I know, again, like I bring the weird episodes and you've always got the nice, light-hearted ones. 
Well, in your defence, it was supposed to be me this week, so, you know. I know, but then, you know, now you've got to listen to this. And this is only the first two killings. This is my punishment. (laughs) (laughs) So later that year, Mary's head was found, although none of her body parts were ever discovered. And the remains of Anita were also never found. Wow. I know. Um, I found that wild that they never found anything. No. But then was Ed telling the truth about where the remains were? Mm. I guess it's one of those. Probably still uh, in like a freezer somewhere. somewhere. Yeah. Oh, they could be. <laughs> don't, don't buy a second-hand freezer. Oh, God. In that part of the world. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> so next we have um, Aikoku, and she was 15. She had missed her bus to dance class on September 14th, 1972. Ed drove past her and offered her a ride, which she accepted. And similar to what he did to Mary and Anita, Ed drove to a secluded wood. This time he pulled a gun out on Aiko. But then he accidentally locked himself out of the car and the gun was still in the car. Um, wah, wah, wah. I know, but Aiko let him back in. Oh, no. um, I know. I was like, why would you do that? But she was she 15. Must have been, yeah, she must have been terrified as yeah. well. I think it was maybe terrified. Maybe she didn't fully know what was going to happen. I don't know. Yeah. But, oh, Jesus. Um, Ed then choked her until she was unconscious and then raped her. After this, he killed her and put her body in his trunk. This time, he didn't go straight home. Um, he stopped at a bar first for a drink. And oh, when yeah. He... Just, I yeah. know. Just... Oh, it's, it's very thirsty work is all this killing, you know. Just imagine him wiping his brow. I'm parched. <laughs> wiping the blood. Is that blood? No, it's uh, just uh, strawberry sauce. <laughs> I had a Mr. Whippy on the way. <laughs> <laughs> so when he returned to the car, he opened the trunk to look at Aiko Ku's body as if she was a trophy. Back at his apartment, he had sex with her corpse, dismembered her, and disposed of, disposed of her remains in a similar way to Mary and Anita. So... <sighs> I mean, we're three kills in. Five, if you include the grandparents. How are you feeling? Uh, <laughs> it's it's almost like textbook, though, isn't it? It's like, yeah. This is like a classic kind of serial killer rapist guy. It's oh god, it's just so bad. <clears throat> it is as well. It's like. I mean, I found this kind of stuff interesting for years, but then it's all so similar. Um, it's just crazy. Like, they've all had shit childhoods, but then this is what they go out and do. Um, Wild, really. People, yeah. people are capable of that kind of thing. Yeah, completely. I mean... Um, I've never wanted to go out and kill anybody. I confronted somebody oh, yeah. on the bus on the way home today. Hey. Um, <clears throat> I know. He was um, kicking off on the bus. 
So I was like, why don't you just shut the fuck up? Yes. Some of us have been at work all day and not in Weatherspoons. And he t- yeah. he, t- he called me a nosy slag. <laughs> of course. Terrific <laughs> comeback. I know. <laughs> but he was like ripping up newspaper. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? It's like, I just want to get home. Oh, dear. But let's get back to Ed Kemper, not my ever terrible commute home. <laughs> uh, even though the commute home is much better than the Ed Kemper, but, you know. <laughs> um, um, I, um, well, only well, slightly. Oh, yeah. Maybe it's the same level. <laughs> By January 7th, 1973, Ed was back living with Clarnell. He was driving around Cabrillo College and picked up 18-year-old student Cindy Shaw. Again, he drove to a secluded area and shot her with a 22 caliber pistol. This time, he took her body back to his mother's house and kept her body in his closet overnight. Oh, I know. Ed, moment like gone and yeah, here's your washing. Oh shit, yeah. what's that? Oh my god, there's, there's one in there. <laughs> oh, how peculiar! Oh god, can you? Oh god, I don't even want to imagine. <laughs> um, Ed then again had sex with uh, Cindy's body as soon as Clarnell left for work the next day. Oh. I know. He then dismembered and decapitated her in the bathtub and kept her head for several days where he would repeatedly perform, you guessed it, Eremacio on it. He then buried her head outside in the garden, looking up at his mother's window. Ed says he did this because his mother liked it when people would look up to her. Oh, my. I know. So he threw her remains over a cliff, and over the next few weeks, all of her remains were found, except for her right hand and her head. So, I mean, think back to the dolls, cutting off the head and the hand. Oh, someone should have intervened there, really. Yeah, I mean, if I saw my kids cutting off the dolls' heads and their hands, I'd maybe uh... have a word. Yeah, I'd seek help. Are you all right? Is everything okay? It'd probably be more of a that cost me 30 quid. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you! So, um, this is where it gets, I don't know, can we call it worse? I mean, this is like the beginning of the worst. So, on February 5th, 1973, Ed had a heated argument with Clarnell yet again, and he went out looking for another victim. There was a heightened alert around the Santa Cruz area, and students were told to only accept rides from people who had campus stickers on their cars. Clarnell worked at the university, so Ed had a campus sticker on his car. I knew that was coming. No. (laughs) I know. And this is when he saw his next two victims. 
23-year-old Rosalind Thorpe and 20-year-old Alison Liu on campus. He offered them both a ride. Rosalind entered the car first, followed by Alison. Ed shot them both and wrapped their bodies in blankets. Again, he brought them back to his mother's house where he beheaded them in the car outside and took the bodies inside to have sex with them both. Ed removed the bullets from the bodies and dismembered them both. Some of their remains were found in Eden Canyon a week later and some were found near Highway 1 the following month. So not all. Not all. So uh, I know what you're thinking. Maybe. Uh, Can this get any worse? (laughs) Um, But the answer is yes. (laughs) How? How? (laughs) This one I find to be the worst one. Um, And when I said to you before that I finished typing this up last night, it was this part that I was putting off writing. Um, I mean, it's as grim as the other victims, but there's just something grimmer about this one. So on April 20th, Clarnell had been at a party. She came home and she woke Ed up by being noisy. Ed walked into her room and Clarnell, who was in bed, said to Ed, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now. To which Ed replied, no, good night. He waited until she had fallen asleep and bludgeoned her to death with a claw hammer and slit her throat. A claw hammer? Yeah. Oh, God. The thought of that, like, I feel sick now. Oh, God, that is grim. Well, it's going to get worse, though. Buckle up. (laughs) He decapitated her, and you guessed it again. He performed Eremetia with her head. Not his own mother. His own mother. Um, Ed then placed her head on a shelf and screamed and screamed at it for hours before smashing her face in. He cut out her tongue and her larynx and tried to dispose of them in the garbage disposal in the sink. Oh, man. I know. But they they came back up because the the garbage disposal couldn't handle, like, the thickness of it. Oh, God. I know. I know. This is not for human tongues. No. Do not try and dispose of tongues in this disposal. I think it's more the thought of the larynx in there, like the oh. noise that would make going round and round. Oh my god, oh. this is oh. this is a lot. <laughs> I told you it would be. Oh god. So Ed hid her body in a closet and went to a bar to get a drink because you know pubs are open. After <laughs> you kill your mum. Yeah, and You've screamed got to get a drink. at her screamed at her head for hours. You've got to go get a drink. Oh, yeah. I mean, you would be terribly thirsty. When he returned home, he called Clarnell's friend, Sally Hallett, to come over. When she arrived, he strangled her. 
Why, I hear you ask. Well, he was going to use this as a cover-up for his mother's death. Ed thought that he could get rid of their bodies and use a story to cover up where they were. He was going to say they had gone on holiday together. But it didn't pan out that way. And Ed put Sally's body in the closet and wrote a note for officers for when they found the bodies, which said, Approximately 5.15am Saturday. No need for her to suffer anymore at the hands of this horrible, murderous butcher. It was quick, asleep, the way I wanted it. Not sloppy and incomplete, gents. Just a lack of time. I got things to do. Uh, he means business. He does. I just like the way he's like, not sloppy and incomplete, gents. I know. Oh yeah. my god, these aren't your friends. I've got things to do. <laughs> I think you've done enough, Ed. Places <laughs> to go, people to kill. Mm. Bars to drink at. Absolutely. So Ed quickly fled the scene and drove to Pueblo, Colorado, taking caffeine pills to help him stay awake on the thousand-mile drive. He had three guns with him and hundreds of rounds of ammo, as he believed he was the target of a manhunt. He had not heard any reports about bodies being found in Santa Cruz, so he called the police to confess. However, the officer who answered did not believe him, He waited for a few more hours and asked to speak to an officer that he knew, and he confessed again. He waited for the police to arrive and to take him into custody, and this is where he confessed to the six other murders. Ed was later asked why he confessed so easily and why he turned himself in, and he said, The original purpose was gone. It wasn't serving any physical or real or emotional purpose. It was just a pure waste of time. Emotionally, I couldn't handle it at much longer. Well, yeah. You don't, you don't say. <laughs> no. um, I'm always shocked, though, when the serial killers confess so easily. Mm. It's like um, they want, a lot of them, I think, they want to be caught, don't they? Yeah, a lot do, I think, for like the fame and the notoriety of it mm. all. Um, I think if Ed had killed his mum first, I'm not sure he would have killed again. No. Um, but, I mean, obviously, we'll never know. Uh, on May 7th, 1973, Ed was indicted on eight counts of first-degree murder. He was assigned public defender Jim Jackson who said, even though Ed had confessed, he should plead not guilty by reason of insanity. And whilst he was in custody, Ed tried to commit suicide twice. His trial began on October 23rd, and three court-appointed psychiatrists deemed Ed to be legally sane. One of them, Dr Joel Fort, interviewed Ed under truth serum I did not think that was a real thing until I wrote this. I'm sure it's it's like it's some kind of chemical. Yeah, but it's like I have read about this before for some reason, not because I wanted to get some, 
<laughs> Obviously. But I'm sure on the dark web. Yeah. <laughs> did they use it in... I want to say, did they use it in Kill Bill, but that doesn't really support the fact that it's real. Um... I know it was in um, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Mm. They use yes. it in that. Because when I mentioned this part to Ali, she was like, that's not real. I was like, well, apparently it is. <laughs> I think it is. It's just like... I don't exactly know how it works, but it's a chemical that does something to your brain. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, well, while Ed was under the truth serum, he confessed to eating some of his victims, saying he used to slice flesh off their legs and make a casserole with it. Nice. Well, uh, I won't be having any tea tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I made like a a slow-cooked beef stew thing like last night so I'm like yeah I'm, I'm just never gonna eat that again now yeah just have some vegetables I mean I'm never gonna yeah. eat a casserole ever again no. um especially not leg casserole <laughs> <laughs> and by that I mean like a leg of like lamb or something yeah I know, I know you don't mean human leg casserole <laughs> no not me <laughs> or do I times are hard <laughs> So Ed took the stand on November 1st, where he said that he killed the women in order to have them as possessions for himself. He also tried to make the jury believe that he was insane by saying there were two beings inhabiting his body and that when the killer's personality came through, he would black out. Well, that's what they all say, Ed, and uh, I'm not sure I believe you. Definitely not. That always seems to be the cop-out. Absolutely. It's it's not me. I'm being controlled by something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like um, son of Sam, David Berkowitz. Yeah. The dog told me to do it. Okay, then. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Get that dog in here. Let's question the guy. Yeah. <laughs> I called to the stand that dog. Fido. <laughs> Did you do it? <laughs> Fido, can I yeah no one get a dog and call it that way (laughs) (laughs) the origin of the name fido where did did that become like your your stereotypical dog name like yeah where did that come from or rex oh yeah rover is also like i'm gonna have to have a look now fido origin Oh, it comes from a Latin meaning to trust and confide in. Oh, that's nice. Oh, yeah, we can't, we can't call a dog a Fido Kemper. No, 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 you can't (laughs) trust and confide in a Kemper. (laughs) Definitely not. So, a nice uh, little fact for you, though, isn't it? Yeah, there we go. A nice bit of lightness just to take the edge off slightly. A palate cleansing dog fact. Yeah. Ed was found guilty on November 8th, 1973, on all charges against him. Ed said he wanted the death penalty and would want to be killed by torture. He'd probably enjoy that, I, I yeah, think. Yeah, I was going to say, he probably would enjoy it. Do not give him the satisfaction. Yeah, you're not getting your rocks off your head. Get Absolutely. out. <laughs> yeah, <sicker. laughs> Instead, he got between seven years and life on each count and was sent to California Medical Facility, where he was housed with uh, our 
friend, Charles Manson. <laughs> Ed remains in general population and like his stint in the juvenile facility, he remains a model prisoner. Ed is considered to be a master craftsman and also helps inmates schedule appointments with psychiatrists. So I also read that Ed narrated like 200 audiobooks. I don't know if these are for general sale or if he just did them for fun. Um, but he did have to retire from this position in 2015 because he suffered a stroke. He has only ever had one violation in prison, which was in 2016, after he failed to provide a urine sample. Ed has been denied parole every time. And he said he is not shocked, as society is probably not ready for him yet. Yes. But, yeah, yet. He <laughs> is eligible again in 2024, though. So maybe we'll have the big release. I think you should probably leave him in there, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, he's so old now anyway. Mm. I know that sounds, that sounds really bad, but he is so old. So what would be the point in releasing him? Here we go. He's 72 now, so by the time he's eligible, he will be 75. Five, yeah. Mm. Like, I just... Do not see the point. What's he going to do? Come out and play Candy Crush or something? I just, I don't know what kind of, what kind of hobby would someone like Ed Kemper have? Well, he's a master craftsman, apparently. Yeah, I have got some jobs I need doing. God, I don't know if I would uh, hire Ed Kemper. <laughs> Kemper Handyman Services. Yes, Kemper can do it. <laughs> But yeah, that's the tale of Ed Kemper. Um, sorry, I didn't go into like a massive amount of detail, but I think there was just so many killings that uh, I think they just needed to be busted out one by one. Oh, absolutely vile. Is it the worst one yet? Or I, th- I, I think it's worse than last week. But I, I guess... Last week was bad because it was like you kind of felt sorry for the woman. Yeah. Whereas this is just like, you know, he's just a really evil bastard. So you're just like, yeah, that's exactly what, not not what you'd expect, but like it's the things he did are so much worse and so much more shocking. Yeah, definitely. But it's I mean... almost like so much of a textbook serial killer. Yeah, I think so. Like he's definitely you could lump him in with someone like Jeffrey Dahmer. I yeah, think. I thought it was going to be about Dahmer actually when you first started. Talking. No, um, you refuse I... to do Dahmer, do you? Yeah, I don't want to do <laughs> Dahmer. I don't know why. No. I don't know if it's been told far too much, but. He just annoys me. Yeah, he's, um, I it, I find that very, very unsettling, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how to describe why I wouldn't do it. It might be the same reason I wouldn't ever want to do Ted Bundy. Mm. Um, maybe their cockiness. 
But there's just there's something about Dharma in particular that just really messes me up. Oh, I watched, I think, possibly when I was quite a lot younger, probably like 14 or 15, there was a Dharma film that came out. And it was just, it was so awful. Because there's, oh, I can't even talk about it, but there's, there's just these <laughs> particular scenes and I'm just like, this is probably the worst thing I've ever seen ever. Oh, yeah, I think God. one came out not too long ago too. Mm. Um, and it's not that great, but it's like pretty grim. Um, like he goes into his little shed and he's got all these jars of dead animals that he's pickled mm. and it's just like, oh. It's the stuff that he does to his victims like after he's captured them. Yeah. That's what really, really messes me up and it just that oh I'm not gonna say it, but it oh, it's so bad. Yeah, he's still on my list of things I don't want to do. Same as John Wayne Gacy, I just uh oh, I could mm. not. Um mainly because I do hate clowns, but yeah, I couldn't do it. And uh, I know everyone's watching this Son of Sam thing on Netflix right now, but let me tell you, if anyone hasn't watched it, please don't waste your time because there's one whole episode that's literally about Charles Manson and Satanic Panic, and it's just so boring. They always do this with Netflix. <laughs> yeah. Through crime stuff, don't they? They just like... The stuff that probably could have been like an hour and a half special. Yeah. They span it out into like eight episodes of just filler. Yeah, definitely. Like cash. It's like the, what was the other one? That Eliza Lamb one. I never ended up watching it in the end. Because oh, yeah, everyone I spoke to was like, this could have been done and dusted inside an hour. Like, I do not know why there needed to be so many episodes. Yeah. That could have been a two episode thing. Yeah. But when they focused one whole episode pretty much on the um, black metal guy, saying, oh, well, it must have been him because he's creepy goth. Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, my Jesus Christ. Um, this is not the program. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I think probably the best Netflix crime thing I did watch, and I had to really psych myself up to watch it and fast forward the beginning, was Don't Fuck With Cats. Um that was really good and I think they could have used more episodes but if anyone hasn't seen it rewind the first five uh, fast forward the first five minutes because no one needs to see uh cats being suffocated and their kittens too and it was just so sad I know I was like oh I'll watch it and then I was like oh no I'm really gonna see what he did to the cats while I was watching it with my cat so I had to turn it off and like leave it a few weeks before I could pluck up the courage to go back oh dear but yeah not sound enjoyable no but it's really interesting um like for the internet sleuth kind of perspective it's yeah it's good for that but yeah that this David Berkowitz one is just uh, so boring so so boring and then I saw on Facebook an article People are struggling to sleep after watching The Son of Sam. And I was like, am I fully desensitised now because this did nothing to me? (laughs) Mm. Yeah, so. 
Yeah. I don't know. Maybe some people will enjoy it, but uh, it was just, again, like you said, it could have been done in an hour and a half and mm. that would have been enough to even look at David Berkowitz because his face is uh, made for radio. Let's just say that. <laughs> 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 so yeah that's it with the gruesomeness for this week um i'm gonna make an effort to not do such gruesome ones it's uh, it's kind of hard when the podcast is about true crime i know <laughs> but then you find the fun things so not all crime related though with like <laughs> vampires <laughs> or what else have I done? I suppose I've done a couple of crime ones, haven't I? Yeah, but like none where no one's cut their mum's head off and put their uh... no. There is there's one that I do really want to do. In fact, there's two that I really want to do, but I feel like they would take so long to go through. Which it's... ones? Oh my god, tell you. But the. Then other ones that have been written about so, so much, and there's so much information available that I just, it would be hard to know when to stop with it. Yeah. Um, That's the thing with the well-known ones, that they are really interesting, but then... There's so much. Yeah, especially when you've got day jobs and... Absolutely. A social life. It is quite hard (laughs) to, like, then come home of an evening and be like, here we go. (laughs) <laughs> let's let's worry about true crime. <laughs> At least now you never have to do Ed Kemper because I've done it for you. <laughs> you never have to hear the word Irma show ever again. Oh God! Um, <laughs> I hope no one's going to Google this actually afterwards because. Uh... But if you don't know what he did, uh... make sure you put safe search on if you. <laughs> yeah, don't. Don't do it at work because God no. I'll put go in incognito mode. But on that note, don't go googling anything uh, you shouldn't do at work or at home. <laughs> <laughs> no one look at my search history. <laughs> Just I, after this episode. <laughs> I, if it ever comes to it, I will vouch for you. Yeah. <laughs> Just say it was for research. Yeah, that, that's what they are saying. They told me to look at it. They told me to do it. <laughs> like the pictures of Travis Alexander that some people did Google. I did not Google that. Oh. Well, they're forever ingrained in my mind, so Ooh. I see them every day. <laughs> I know. But yeah, on that note, thanks everyone for listening. Yes, um, thank you again. Always thankful for the love. Yeah, thanks for the comments. Anyone who has uh, fed back, always appreciated. Give us a follow on all the various socials if you haven't already. And we'll be back next week. We will, with something definitely more lighthearted. I yeah. apologise for all of this terribleness. <laughs> it's a true <laughs> crime podcast. You know you're getting yourself in. Yeah. You signed up for this. (laughs) (laughs) But on that note, we will see you next week. Yep. Cheers, guys. Bye. Bye.